Welcome to Agency for Change, a podcast from Kid Glove that brings you the stories of changemakers who are actively working to improve our communities. In every episode, we'll meet with people who are making a lasting impact in the places we call home. Hi, everyone. This is Lynn Weinman, president of Kid Glove. And welcome to another episode of the Agency for Change podcast. Now, a few weeks ago, the latest IPCC climate change report was released. I'm sure many of you heard about it. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres described the 3,500-page report as a code red for humanity. Yikes. Today's guest, Daniel Lossi, the principal and chief century thinker at Veritas Group, is going to break this report down for us. Daniel, how are you today? Well, that's a loaded question when we're talking about the climate change report. (laughs) In this moment, I am wonderful and so happy to be on this podcast with you, Lynn. And then there's that underlying, okay, processing the climate change report. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Lots right? of emotions. How, how do you, that really wasn't very kind of me to ask how you are after that introduction. And let's, let's start our conversation today with that report. I mean, 3,500 pages. Uh, most of us are not going to read the whole thing. Um, I mean, to put it in perspective, can we start with who? actually is the IPCC, and what is this report? Let's just dive in. So (laughs) the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, It is a group of scientists and volunteers from around the world who were gathered by over 190 governments. The countries of the world said, hey, we hear there's something going on with climate change. This was decades ago. Why don't you all go get the information and tell us what we need to know. So the uh, IPCC comes together and they put together this report. This one that just came out is the physical basis of climate change. So really there's nothing in this report that's a surprise to anybody who's paying attention. It is documenting everything that the science is telling us, all of the observations we're making. They do climate modeling too, and they get more sophisticated every year to make sure that these models are more and more accurate as we get better with our science. The governments are the ones who say, scientists go tell us what's happening. The scientists come together, over 200 scientists from 65 countries put this report together with over 14,000 scientific publications assessed all compiled into this 3,500 page report. Lucky for us, there's about a 40 page summary for policymakers that does break it down a little bit more. That's fantastic. Wow, that's a lot, a lot of brain power, 200 scientists from across the world. So Daniel, for those of us who are maybe not even going to read the 40 pages, can you break it down for us a little further? I am not a sustainability expert, but I am a human and code red for humanity does not sound good. Can you just tell us, give us the high level on on what the report says? Yeah, I love that it's called a code red for humanity because it means there still is an opportunity to change course. Usually code red means things are going in the wrong direction, but if we act now, we can do something about it. 
You think about codes in hospitals, yeah. everybody mobilizes and then they save the, the patient's life. You think about codes in military or in safety and security it means things aren't going well, but we can still change the course. So that's what it means. I mean, the science now shows that unequivocally, all of the climate change we're experiencing is caused by humans. No more argument about it. And primarily the burning of fossil fuels and secondarily methane emissions from agriculture and other industrial processes. Those two things are warming the planet up. So the code red is we are already locked in to warming till until the middle of the century. We're at about 1.1 degrees Celsius of warming. And they look at this compared to like 1750 to 1800, basically pre-industrial revolution, because that's when we started burning coal and oil and natural gas in massive quantities over time. And so we're looking at what was the climate before that and what is it now with all of this carbon dioxide and methane in the air. It lingers in the air for a while. So we are locked in to two to three more decades of warming. Nothing we do today will change it. So you think things are getting bad now with wildfires and droughts and flooding and extreme rainfall events. Honestly, Lynn, it's going to get worse for the next 20 to 30 years. Every decade for the last four decades is warmer than the last one, and that will continue. The good news is because we are so certain that this warming is caused by us, guess who can solve it? Could it be we us? Can. Yeah. Yes, we can. <laughs> Every action we take today makes the future a little bit better. And every day we don't act makes the future a little bit worse. So I know that maybe people are tired of talking about it, but with the pandemic, we talked about bending the curve of transmission. We're talking about bending the curve of climate change, hitting that point of drawdown where we stop putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and they start to drop. And so what will happen is we were, we were on track to hit 1.5 degrees Celsius by the middle of the century. We might hit two, three, four by the end of the century, but that is up to us today. We could hit 1.5 and I, I call it kissing it. Let's kiss 1.5 mm -hmm. and then come back down from it. Yeah. And if we act today and drive down emissions rapidly, we can do it. We have about 10 years to be able to say 2050 might be the hottest we'll get, and then we'll start to level off and then cool back down a little bit. So that's what the code red for humanity means. We are headed in the wrong direction. It's going to get harder than it already is. And we can do something about it. Yeah. We're so certain we're causing it. We are so certain we can do something about it. And the other cool thing is we have all the solutions, Lynn. We have the technical solutions. We have the policy solutions. We need leadership. We need elect, elected officials on the policy side to make statements, to make bold claims, to pass legislation and set policies that will set us in the right direction. And we need businesses and communities and homeowners to make decisions to say, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to insulate my home. I'm going to drive less because I can get around in other ways. We, we have all the tools. We just need to use them. I love that. Daniel, you know what? I like the picture that you painted there. I mean, that was helpful to me, the idea of a code red in the hospital, right? I mean, we've all probably been in a hospital where you've heard that come over the, the PA system and 
or, or we've seen it on TV, maybe, heaven forbid, some of us maybe have seen it in person, but, but everyone mobilizes, goes to that patient, does what needs to be done. And in many cases, the patient, the patient recovers to either yeah. some level or full level. And I'm glad you put a positive note on the end of that statement too, because it does, the prediction sounds pretty dire and depressing if nothing is done. So you said there's something we can do about it as concerned humans, once again, who care about the planet and want to leave it well for future generations. What can, how can we as individuals do our part? That is a wonderful question that is multifaceted and I'm <laughs> going to try to boil it down for you. One of the most important things that we can do is change the way we think. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can shift our mindset from short-term thinking, you know, instant gratification to long-term thinking. What are the implications of my choices? Not just today, but literally my children and grandchildren are going to inherit a world that I have full choice in what, what kind of world they get. Yeah. And I was just talking to somebody who said, you know, I used to not worry about this stuff because I, I knew it wasn't good, but that's going to be in my grandchildren's lifetime. And then he's like, and then I realized that my grandchildren's lifetime is partially my lifetime. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, that, two things there. One, A, we need to care about the world we hand over to our grandchildren. And B, yeah. it's happening right now. We're witnessing this. We're experiencing this. No matter where you're listening, I'm sure you've experienced an extreme weather event yeah. in the last 12 to 18 months. And, and those are stronger and more powerful than they were before human-caused climate change. So what can we do about it? They're change the way we think from short-term to long-term from separate to connected. Everything I do is connected to everything else. We are a living system and we are part of nature. So when we can stop thinking humans are separate from nature, yeah. we begin to act differently in the system, realizing that, hey, we're causing this. We can fix it. Wow. We can make choices in our cities, in our communities, in our businesses, at the dinner table, and we can have an impact and fix this. So as we change the way we think, now I'm going to bring it down to more practical, like bullet lists. Yeah. I, I talk about how we think because it matters. I could give you a checklist of all the activities for you to do. There's tons of websites with checklists and I'll share some of those things because they're okay. important. But if all I do is give you a checklist and you get to the end of that, you'll be like, oh, okay, I'm done. I got this. <laughs> World but saved. I, yeah. But if you change the way you think about it, and understand your relationship to our planet, to our common home. This is really our home that we all share. Yeah. Then when that list is done, you'll come up with the other things that you need to do because you are an expert of your own location. You are an expert in your family. You're an expert of your business. You know what matters most and how to make changes in those areas. I don't. So these generic checklists are helpful guides, but what's more important is actually beginning to embody this living systems perspective of we're all connected, let's think in long-term and let's do the right thing because we're just showing up, knowing that every day I do something helpful is making the world better, not just for me, but for my children and my grandchildren. So change the way you think. The second thing to think about is mitigation. What are things I can do today 
that will actually help bend that curve of climate change so we don't go past the 1.5 because 1.5 gets kind of scary and beyond that there's a lot of other things that we can talk in detail about if you'd like so what can i do to mitigate i'll point you to a website that i really like it's called count us in it is count dash us dash in um dot org Great. And for anybody who didn't get that, Daniel, we'll put those in the show notes on the website as well. Perfect. So they've identified 16 top things that we can do as individuals based on impact and effort. So maybe you don't have a lot of time or energy or money. So look at the low effort things and then you can see what kind of impact. And then there's some things that take more time, energy, and some of them more money for higher impact. So easy things. What I was just talking about, speak up at work. Ask your colleagues, have you read the have you read any summaries of the climate change report? Did you know that we're locked in for warming for the next two decades? What impact is this going to have on our business? What impact is this going to have on your homes? Have you noticed, oh, I had a, a great conversation with executives at one of our clients, and we kicked it off with the question, what interesting or odd weather events have you experienced in the last 12 months? Every single one of them shared a story about drought or extreme rainfall. And it was fascinating to hear. Mm -hmm. And then I followed that up with, well, and here's the science of the climate in your region. So what you're experiencing isn't just anecdotal. You're, you are personally experiencing the impacts of climate change. So talk about it. Don't be afraid to yeah. ask questions. If you don't know, ask. There are a ton of people who know about this stuff and are there, they're happy to help. Maybe some of your friends would love to talk about this. And we have to be able to process our emotions. So you'll find that I don't approach things just from a rational perspective. I understand the whole person, mind, body, spirit, emotions. And so we need to engage and make space for our emotions. It, this can be heavy stuff. Yeah. Another easy thing to do is just tweak your thermostat at home. If it's summertime, bump it up a degree so the air conditioner is not running quite as much and just take a layer off or, or wear shorter sleeves or tank tops or whatever. If it's winter time, bump the thermostat down a degree and put on an extra layer, a sweatshirt or a sweater or a shawl or a scarf or yeah. all of these great accessories that we have that just help us stay a little bit warmer. Fans so Daniel, in the summertime. You're starting to hit us where it hurts, right? We're all so into our climate control, right? And the exact temperature for sleeping and working and but you're right, just one degree on your thermostat. If we all do one degree, one degree, that's got to make a big difference. Huge difference. And here's the thing. I'll try, I, I know that this hurts, but it doesn't have to. Turn on a fan in the summertime yeah. because the, the air temperature can be one to two degrees warmer. But if you have air moving over your skin, you feel one to two degrees cooler great advice. And fans are far more energy efficient than an air conditioner is. It's cooling off your whole house. Great advice. Ceiling fans are amazing. They ah. can run when you're sleeping, keep you comfortable in the living room. A couple other things. I mean, these, these are, I don't know, some of these are pretty easy. Eat more plants. Ah. The agricultural industry of meat, you might hear about cow farts, but actually that's <laughs> not true. It's cow burps. It's the burps, not the farts. I don't think um, we've ever talked about farts and burps on this podcast, so this is a first. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, agency for change. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
we have to identify the sources so that we know what to change, Lynn. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Either way, if, if yeah. you eat more plants and eat less meat, you will help reduce the demand and the need for raising as much cattle that are burping methane into the atmosphere oh. that are helping heat up our plant. Okay. And sometimes that's an unpopular opinion in, in Nebraska. We're a meat state. Right. And notice how this doesn't say stop eating meat. Right. There, there are plenty of opinionated people on both sides of that spectrum. I'm going to walk the middle line and say, whatever you're doing today, eat more plants, eat a little less meat. I like that. Incre incremental change. Right. And, and this is exactly what we're talking about. Every day that I do something, I'm literally making the future better yeah. because every piece of greenhouse gas that doesn't go into the atmosphere helps bend that curve. It helps make it so we're not going to overshoot 1.5 as much, or it helps us take things down yeah. because there's several decades that the CO2 I emit today lingers in the atmosphere. Here's one. Make your home more energy efficient. Yeah. Make sure you have good insulation. Make sure you have LED light bulbs. Uh, make sure your refrigerator door is closed and has a good seal on it. There are entire websites on how to be more energy efficient at home. And I've done this in my current home and in my last home, and it saves you money. Wow. And now I have more disposable income nice to do things benefit. or to save or to yeah. put into retirement. So it, it actually can enhance your quality of life. It doesn't have to feel like it's a sacrifice. This one is an interesting one. So many of these are behaviors that some people are all about and other people don't think they're popular. So I'm just going to say them, fly less, right? Yeah. As a yeah. human, as an individual, one of the biggest things we can do to reduce our emissions is fly less. I did a greenhouse gas, personal greenhouse gas inventory years ago. After I had a super efficient home, I walk and bike and bus a lot of places. I eat local a lot. And then my wife and I flew to Hawaii for mm -hmm. a trip. And it blew my entire carbon budget. Wow. That one trip. It was a really great vacation and I loved it. And like there, there's some real asking questions about, do I need to fly? Especially uh -huh. now with video conferencing. And I know too, that the airline industries are moving towards new technologies that will emit fewer emissions because flying is a great invention. Yeah, I'm not yeah. against flying. Let's get flying to the point where it doesn't emit any negative uh, impacts, right? Yeah. Birds don't pollute when they fly. They're not <laughs> heating the planet up. So the other kind of theme that I think about is how can we be more like nature? Nature has figured out mm -hmm. how to live in a symbiotic relationship and not throw things out of whack. Uh, I don't know. You want me to keep going on personal yeah, actions or do you want something great else? advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving all of this. I feel like I'm hanging on every word. Give me a few more. Give me a few more and then we'll switch to corporation. Okay. Okay. Um, right. If you can put some solar on your house or some places, some utilities have where you can buy into community solar, where you're literally getting kind of like a share of a solar farm that's already built. So that's a fascinating gets, idea. Yeah. I'm part of a community solar program. So they've got, I don't know how many megawatts at this farm that I'm buying from through OPPD, but I'm buying more than I use in electricity for my house. So I can say that my electricity is zero carbon electricity. I still have natural gas for my water heater and furnace at the moment, but here's a tip. You want to think long-term. Yeah. The future is electric. 
if you are going to replace your furnace, get an all electric heat pump. If you are going to replace your water heater, get an electric water heater. There's pros and cons. I understand that. But the future is absolutely electric. We cannot continue to burn natural gas. Also somewhat unpopular, but we're seeing cities across the country considering legislation that says no more natural gas, all new homes, all electric, all new buildings, all electric. Because so nature has this amazing thing called photosynthesis. (laughs) It takes sunlight that falls on our planet every single day and converts it to energy to support life. Amazing. We are getting closer and closer to our solar panels are getting more efficient. We're developing storage technologies. Again, nature's solved this already. We don't have to burn ancient sunlight, which is really what coal and natural gas and fossil fuels are, oil. It's ancient sunlight. It's like burning up the endowment. Let's live off of the interest that falls on our planet every single day. So anyway, like let's switch to solar where you can. Natural gas is an ancient sunlight. It's not going to be the wave of the future. And even the people in the natural gas industry talk about it as a bridge fuel. It's helping right now because it's lower emissions than coal and oil, but it still is an emissions generating technology. We're working with a client in Seattle. And they are building a new facility, commercial size facility, lots of pumps, motors, it's fairly energy intensive. They're going all electric. Wow. That's a big commitment, right? Because there's some money involved in that, right? It'd be easier. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there is. And with electric, sometimes it's a little more expensive to operate for like a furnace. But if you're doing a heat pump, it's actually more efficient. I'm a nerd. I I can't help it. The (laughs) physics, the physics of a natural gas furnace, you're like piping gas in and starting a fire in your house in the furnace, right? And it heats up air that blows over it. That sounds terrible. A a heat pump is actually moving heat from the air, or if it's a ground source heat pump, it's moving heat from the earth. So in physics, cool air doesn't move, heat moves. So an air conditioner is actually sucking heat out of your house. And then sending it outside and blowing it out into the air. A heat pump works in the opposite in the wintertime. It's sucking heat out of the outside air because there's always a little bit of heat unless it's like sub-zero. And it's bringing that heat into your house and then helping heat your house that way. So instead of creating heat by burning something very energy intensive, you're just moving heat from one spot to another. It's much more energy efficient. That's a great explanation. And Daniel... So many good things we could do, some that feel really easy, some that feel a little bit painful. Yes, definitely some controversial things in there as well, but but all things that we should be aware of, educated on, and and figure out what we each can do. Now, you brought up your client, and I have to admit, right or wrong, sometimes when I think about climate change, I think about these big corporations, right? And the things that they're doing that impact climate change. I mean, what can a, a big corporation do to help and not further harm the situation? Well, the same thing as individuals. <laughs> they can change they can change the way they think, right? I like I mean, that. that. That is the consistent thing here. When they shift from short-term to long-term, when yeah. they shift from a separate worldview to a connected worldview, from thinking that everything is kind of this static machine, our business is a machine, 
to actually we're a living system. We're more like an ecosystem filled with plants and organisms because we're human right? <laughs> um, and we're messy and things are changing all the time. That will single-handedly automatically make them think differently about their environmental impact. So that's kind of the philosophical worldview framing because mm -hmm. here's how change happens. Change can happen in the physical world of like, here's the list of things to do, go do it, actions. Yeah. But fundamental lasting change happens when we shift our worldview. So that's why yeah. I didn't want this conversation to just be like, oh, here's the checklist and here's the process. <laughs> because fundamentally, when we change our minds, we change the way we think, we actually can transform the world around us in such beautiful ways. I love and you don't that so need much. to have a checklist. Yeah. But everybody loves a checklist, so I'll give you one. Okay. All right. <laughs> so so the other two things that businesses can do is this mitigation, which I talked about with personal, and I'll go yeah. into that in a minute. But the thing I didn't talk about personally, it's more for business, but adaptation. We know the planet's going to get hotter for the next 20, 30 years. So what are we going to do to make sure that mm. we can still function in a hotter climate with more extreme events, right? Hurricane Ida and the impacts of flooding in the Northeast, awful. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're going to see more of that and maybe worse mm -hmm. the, over the next 20 to 30 years. So how does a company mitigate? One of the easiest things they can do that shouldn't take too long is just measure their greenhouse gases. It's called a GHG, greenhouse gas inventory. Yeah. Understand where your impact is because every business has limited resources, time, energy, and money. So it, are most of your emissions coming from electricity? Are most of them coming from the burning of natural gas and some industrial process or heating your buildings or heating water? Are most of your emissions coming from your fleet? Maybe you have a ton of vehicles that are diesel or gasoline powered. And if they're coming from your fleet, then the strategy is mitigate or migrate your fleet to all electric and make sure your electricity is coming from a clean renewable source, whether that's on site, solar, or sometimes wind if you're a large industrial site, or partner with your utility and say, look, I'm going to an all electric fleet. I want you to move to renewable energy mm -hmm. and decarbonize. And utilities are doing this, but the more customers who ask for it, the faster Absolutely. the utilities will do it. Absolutely. So really step one is know where you are because it will help you focus your time, energy, and resources on having the biggest impact. And remember, every action we take today is going to make our future better. And every day that we delay action is going to make it a little bit worse. Daniel, that's that's amazing. I, I want you to save that thought for a question I'm going to ask you later as well, because that 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 was really a great statement there. So let's talk a little bit about more about companies that want to create a climate action plan or or to do their part with mitigation. What resources do you recommend for them? And does Veritas Group offer any support for this? Oh, Lynn, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do every single day <laughs> that we wake up and leap out of bed to go help make the world a better place. I Our team is, is honed to help companies create climate action plans and act on them. So I'll start first with one of my favorite resources is Project Drawdown. Yeah. Uh, that's that's projectdrawdown.org. Um, actually, drawdown.org. And they look at all of the ways that we can reduce emissions, whether it's mm. transportation or industrial or food or agriculture or 
geologic, all, all of these things. And they look at technology that is, exists today and they say, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Gives us you all the solutions. And some of them will apply to some businesses and others will apply to others. So Project Drawdown is a phenomenal resource for what types of strategies you can do once you identify what your inventory is. And do a climate action plan. So step yeah. one is measure where you are. Once you know where you are, then you can start to identify what the strategies are. You can set goals too. So it's important to have a vision and goals. So actually I could short circuit this whole thing and say on our website, we have (laughs) how to create a climate action plan that you can download for free and it will give you these high level steps. But like this discovery phase is where are your emissions coming from? What's your water use? All of these things of where, where are you today? And then paint the vision of where do you want to go? And part of that should be informed by the science-based targets in this IPCC report of, we need to get to the lowest possible emissions that your company can drive to as fast as possible. And a vulnerability assessment, there's something called a climate vulnerability assessment that that gets into the adaptation. As the planet warms up and continues to for the next 20, 30 years, what are your risks? What are the risks to your customers, to your business model, to your logistics and supply chains? And begin to assess those because that will inform if you need to pivot. Or maybe you don't need to pivot yet, but in five years, you should. Are you in the right physical location for things as the planet changes? Yeah. Lynn, I had to read this so many times to let it sink in. I'm going to pull it up so that I don't misinterpret this. The IPCC report. And this is based on the best science, unequivocal. 200 scientists in the room. Yeah, lots of brains. We are going to see in the next 80 years, by 2100, one to two feet of sea level rise. That's quite a lot, isn't it? That's That's, quite a lot. And that's that's the best case scenario, Lynn. If we don't do anything, if people don't take action and we keep pumping CO2 into the atmosphere like like we are, we are talking three feet or more of sea level rise just by 2100. And then, and I'm like, I'm doing the math from meters to inches because this is written for the for meters for international audience. Yeah. So like, we're going to see several inches, six inches maybe of sea level rise guaranteed in the next mm-hmm. 30 years. And because of the way ice and warm water expands, we're actually locked in. This was interesting. They're like, in the next 2,000 years, because they had to expand <laughs> it out. It's hard to visualize the next 2,000 years. But the next 80 years, that sounds fairly yeah, serious. But, but listen to this, because the 2,000 year, the chief century thinker like wants to go there and say, yeah. well, what could this become? It is likely that we will have 5 to 10 meters of sea level rise. in the next 2000 years. So we've already set the course of the planet on multiple feet of sea level rise. Like that's 15 to 30 feet of Mm -hmm. sea level rise. And they're basing this on the last time the planet was one and a half degrees hotter. We had sea levels that were five to 10 meters higher. Wow. Wow. So, so that's kind of big and scary, but let's zoom back 80 years. We're going to see several inches and, and going back to physical location. We're in the Midwest, but some of your listeners might be on the coast. Right. If you are on the coast, your city is either going to invest billions of dollars to fight the ocean yeah. or you're going to remove some of the oceanfront property right. because we are in this century, in the next 80 years, 
we're going to see one to two feet of sea level rise, which means every hurricane that comes and the storm surges are going to be that much higher. Are your levees ready for that? Yeah. Are your sea walls ready for that? Yeah. When, when it rains, this is connected to the warmer air. Warmer air holds more moisture. So when it does rain, it rains more. They've tied it to every degree Celsius of increase in planetary temperature. We get 7% more rainfall. They've like been able to hone it down that much. Um, dryness. So hot air absorbs water, makes the land drier. So drier conditions and hotter temperatures, not if, but when there's an ignition source, yeah. we're going to have more fires. We're already experiencing we this. We are really so, seeing that. Yeah. Are you vulnerable to fires? So that's what this climate vulnerability assessment is. It's looking at your region and the climate modeling that's projected for your region, because the earth is a complex system. Some places are going to get wetter. Some places are going to get drier. What are your vulnerabilities for your business? And right. maybe you'll realize you're relatively fine. Maybe you just need to know you're going to have more air conditioning in the future because it's going to get hotter, but you personally or your building or your employees aren't going to have flooding or drought, but maybe they will. And then, and then it becomes a question about your employees. People don't think this level. What happens if your employees are distracted because they're getting flooded basements yes, or their houses right. are going to burn down in a, in a wildfire, right? The stress that that puts on them. And another thing in this vulnerability assessment, sorry, I'm kind of going deep in this one. No, is, it's good. This is how is we change mindset, right? Like you're telling the stories that change people's minds. And I know, you know what you're doing here, but you're changing my mind. Not that it, I wasn't already on the cusp. I mean, I, this is going deep. It's good stuff, yeah. Daniel. These are the questions I feel like we need to ask. Like, what about climate refugees? There will be mass migrations across this planet of people moving from the coasts. Maybe they'll just move a few miles inland, stay in the same yeah. city. Maybe they'll move to Omaha, Nebraska. Right. Maybe people along the equator and, and the uh, warmer temperate or tropical areas, it's going to get so hot and intolerable that they're going to want to become an immigrant into the United States. So we're not just talking about global population migration into the U.S. And how do we how do we deal with that influx of immigrants? What about even within the U.S.? The, mm -hmm. the Southwest and California right now, I've heard some people say we shouldn't be calling this a drought because it's been drought after drought after drought. <laughs> this is aridification. This is almost like desertification. It is not going to get wetter again yeah. in some of these areas. So anyway, what are you vulnerable to? You need to know that so yeah, that you can build wow. strategies around that. Wow. And then something so critical if you're going to do a climate action plan is engagement, diverse and equitable engagement. Here's a secret, Lynn. <laughs> People participate in what they help create. Uh, yeah. So if you're a company, yeah. don't just hire a consultant who's going to write up a plan that's all based on this great science and great recommendations and strategies that goes back to the way people think. Yeah. Work with a group or do it internally in such a way that you're engaging people up and down and across the organization because they know how your business works from where they sit and they will have such great ideas that you cannot come up with. That is and good. so creating a diverse, equitable engagement process, whether you're a municipality and you're talking about a community or whether you're a business and you're talking about your employees and customers, engage the stakeholders, help them co-create the climate action plan. And part of that then goes into this visioning. So you know where you are, you've assessed your vulnerabilities, you've assessed your, your emissions through a greenhouse gas inventory. 
Where do you want to go? Take into account all the best science coming out saying that you need to drive emissions down as rapidly as possible. Fine, set a long-term goal, maybe 20 years out of zero emissions or, or get to zero as, as close as you can. Every organization is going to use energy. But then set a, a shorter term goal. You were talking 2000 years is mind boggling. Can't even think of yeah. it, but 80 years is more reasonable. When you're a business, maybe set a 10 year target mm -hmm. and maybe even have a five year milestone. 2030 right now is a really great target to say 80% uh, emissions reductions or more. Mm -hmm. I'm going to help you cheat a little bit. <laughs> if you don't want to look at all the science, 80% emission reduction or more is generally a good target over the next nine years. But the fa again, the faster you get there, the better off we're going to be. Once you have your vision, you set those targets, those goals, so that businesses are great to get traction when they know what they're aiming for. People can rally around something. If they know that we're going to drive emissions down, then I'm going to say, oh, why do we leave these lights on? How come we're using this inefficient piece of equipment? What about employee commutes? Maybe we should commute differently to work. Transportation demand management, support active commuting, walk and bike and ride transit. Those are all healthier for your people. So there's also something that you'll discover when you dig into this. It's not just scary, like there's co-benefits. Mm -hmm. When I reduce my emissions by walking and riding the bus and biking to work, I get healthier. When I eat more plants in general, Americans eat more meat than they need to. When I eat more plants, I'm going to be healthier because I'm lowering my meat intake a little bit and I'm adding to my, my leafy greens and the vitamins and minerals that nature provides in the, in the vegetables. And really, once you have your vision and your goals, it becomes how do we get there? And we've talked about some of these strategies. It's emissions reductions. It's water conservation because water, we don't think about it, but water is really heavy. Have you ever tried to walk up three flights of stairs with five gallon buckets of water? <laughs> it's heavy, which means when we are pumping water across cities, up and down hills, we're using a ton of energy to drive those pumps. So even saving water is not just good for the rivers, lakes, and streams that it's coming from, it also helps us reduce the emissions from the energy used to move water around. Um, and once you have this list of strategies, and again, that co-creative process, people participate in what they help create, we bring the subject matter experts and kind of one layer out from that to talk about, okay, we want to drive down emissions 80%. How are we going to do it? We've got our data of what we're doing today. Which areas are we going to target? Jack, what do you have? Sarah, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Lynn, what do you see from where you sit? And we create these strategies and prioritize them usually about 12 to 18 months at a time because people are action oriented. Yeah. And then you come back and you kind of do this ongoing cyclical strategy identification prioritization. It's about having enough structure, but also leaving enough space for that creativity and the un unknowns that might come up. You might find a grant that could fund a project that wasn't on your top list, yeah. but all of a sudden it's available and you can do it. Or you might find a partner in business who's going to come along and be like, hey, I've got this great opportunity for you. You're like, no, this plan says we can't do that <laughs> till next year. You know, you have to have, we, yeah. we talk about these plans as a living document. And that goes back to the mindset shift too. It's not a strategic plan. It's strategic thinking. Yeah. Wow. Daniel, I love that you broke that down because I think one of the worst things someone could probably do is invest the time and resources to create the plan. We've all seen plans that come in these lovely notebooks. They're 140 pages. They have tabs and charts and graphics. And then you put them on the shelf and a year later, somebody's like, how about that plan? And uh, 
you you just feel bad. You just feel bad about it because nothing's happened. But breaking it down, making it happen, making sure you've got the co-creation and the flexibility and the thinking change, all of that is very good. Very good. So this next question is, you know, it's hard to believe, but there are, are people come from all different places. And I know you deal with people who question the general theory of client change. And I've actually heard you in person answer these questions before, but can you share with us, what do you say to people who, who don't believe this is real? Well, this IPCC report puts any argument of that to bed. Yeah. They're unequivocally caused by humans. And if you don't want to believe it, then you truly are creating a made-up belief system. So I say to you, do you fly in an airplane? Because <laughs> the same physics that makes that airplane fly, and you trust that, are the same physics that scientists are using to, uh, to prove that climate change is caused by humans. Yeah. Do you benefit from gravity yeah. every day? I mean, you don't have to believe in gravity, but it's still happening. So whether or not you believe in climate change or not, the, the case is closed. It's caused by humans. It's going to happen whether or not you believe in it. So, and, and this might sound a little harsh. At this point in my career, there are enough people who care and want to do something about it. Yeah. If somebody doesn't believe in it, I'm honestly not going to waste my breath trying to convince right. them because they've got some things going on that there's no way I can unpackage and convince them otherwise. That's a good point. I'd rather spend my time and energy helping people help themselves and help the planet and be solutions focused. Fantastic. So I hear the passion in your voice. Uh, I can see you because we're on Zoom. The people who are listening to the podcast can't see you. But Daniel, I'm just, I'm inspired by your passion. And I'd really like to know more about your story. How did you get into this line of work? I wanted to make the world a better place. I love that. I had a little bit of a savior complex, like in retrospect, coming out of college, <laughs> I was all gung home. I'm going to save the world. I studied <laughs> social justice frameworks. I studied theology and world religions and like what drives people in their belief systems. And I thought, man, the world needs some healing and I'm going to, I'm going to help save it all. I quickly realized there's a lot of issues <laughs> to, to tackle. And then I kind of still cheated. I did some mental gymnastics. And I, I did realize, though, there's truth in this, that underneath famine, underneath healthcare, underneath war, underneath poverty, we all live on this planet. Yeah. And many of those, in many cases, the environment, whether it was a lack of resources or too many resources, whether it was, you know, ecosystems that had a lot of vector-borne diseases or those that had mechanisms to prevent that the environment was this underlying piece. And then fundamentally, I started to look at it. And I'm like, we are not in a good relationship with our planet, with nature. We're separated. We're instant gratification. We think that, the, that we live in this controlled mechanistic world that we humans have created and we separate ourselves. So I realized that fundamentally, and this is my core mission, is to heal the relationship That's between right. people and the planet. And when That's we great. can get in right relationship with the planet, guess what? It also helps us be in right relationship with other humans mm. and we all can begin to thrive. So that's, that's the nutshell story of what led me into this. And then back in the day, there wasn't a career in sustainability. I had to make this up all the way along. And so <laughs> often 
I would get these looks of like, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. Why do you even care about this? Climate change isn't real. Like I've been in this mindset for 20 years now and in this career pathway for a solid team. And I had to create so much of it on my own. And sometimes it got a little lonely. Mm-hmm. It's got to be now, rewarding now, right? Yes, there are so many people. This is <laughs> Nobody has to do this alone. Yeah. Oh, Daniel, I love hearing that story. So you know, and everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I am inspired by motivational quotes. And you've said so many good things today, but could you give us a few of your own Daniel Lossy, chief century thinker, uh, words of wisdom? Well, playing on the title, like it, it shift from short-term to long-term thinking. Mm. Yeah. When you do that, everything changes. If you begin to ask yourself, what are the impacts of my decisions? Not just on today, but seven generations from now, my great, 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 great grandchildren, I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to make different decisions. Another, another thing that I love, because mindfulness and meditation is so critical in my life, because it, it is so much about how we think and mm-hmm. how we show up. I talk often about let's hold things lightly when we hold things too tightly, whether it's an idea or uh, a focus on just one thing or a relationship, we have to have space. We have to hold things lightly. We don't want to push things away because that's not a way to engage the world, but we don't have to grasp so tightly to any one thing. And when we leave space, the other, the other thing that I talk about is the spectrum of rigidity to chaos. Mm -hmm. And the important thing for me is to swim in the middle. There's something called creative chaos. You need some chaos. You need some space for creativity. And then on the other healthy side of that is healthy structure. We need some structure. We can't just flop around. Uh, I mean, we have bones even for structure in our body, right? (laughs) We need structure in our life as well. So I often look at my life and I say, am I being too rigid or not, or way too chaotic? And how do I swim in the space between healthy structure and creative chaos? And that's the dynamic nature of life. Life is always moving. And when I accept that, I can thrive within it. Daniel, you have given us so much there. And if you are not, I do think somebody should be recording all of these Danielisms. We've gotten a few of them today, but I know there are more. So for our listeners who would like to learn more about your work, How can they find out more about Veritas Group? The easiest way is veritasgroup.com. It's our website. We have case studies. We've got a great blog where we're going into thought leadership and and critical thinking about some of these most pressing topics. And then we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Veritas Group is where you're going to find us on those. Perfect. We will have that web address in the show notes as well. So, Daniel, as we wrap up this great conversation, what is the most important thing you would like our listeners to remember about the work that you're doing? Mm, So much pressure. (laughs) I think the most important thing is that do what you can Mm. and do it as quickly as you can right Mm -hmm. now. It is a code red. We all need to show up. And when we do, we can revive the patient. We can, we can do this. It's going to be hard, 
but we can do it together. And what I want everybody to do, whether you're at, maybe you're an owner of a business, maybe you're an employee, maybe you stay at home and tend to your home and your family. Whatever you do, you're making decisions every single day. Ask yourself, is this going to reduce emissions? Is this going to help heal the planet? Or is this going to make things worse? Mm. And every single decision, and you'll never be perfect. That's that, yeah. like hold things lightly. Don't, don't get all uptight. Like you have to be perfect. Give yourself grace and hold yourself with compassion. But every decision that you can make that leads us to a healthier, happier, more livable planet, your children, the neighborhood kids, the grandchildren yet to come, we stand on the shoulders of those who come before us and the view is phenomenal. Yeah. So what kind of shoulders are we going to leave for those who come after us? And every decision we make will help shape that future. I'm yeah. certain of it. That's well done. Well done. Daniel, I've just got to say, I fully believe the world needs more people like you. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your knowledge and your passion and all of this great advice to save the world today. It's been a pleasure, Lynn. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's Agency for Change podcast. To hear all our interviews with those who are making a positive change in our communities or to nominate a changemaker you'd love to hear from, visit kidglove.com at K-I-D-G-L-O-V.com to get in touch. As always, if you like what you've heard today, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.